This is a message that I think is very, very important. I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Now, let's uh, test your knowledge of a basic Bible quiz here. If I say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, who do you say? John the Baptist, says Misty. She's right. John the Baptist was the man who went around eating locusts and wild honey. He was a rugged guy. He lived in the wilderness. He knew from his birth that he was the one who was supposed to prepare the way for Jesus. And he went about for a year and a half of his life preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you remember John the Baptist, don't you? Kind of a rough guy. You think of him as pretty, you know, tough and able to bear it out. And the Bible says that John did a lot of wonderful things. He fulfilled God's plan for his life. We read in John chapter 1, verse 29, that John the Baptist, he is at the Jordan River, baptizing people, preparing them for the coming of the kingdom of God, when all of a sudden he's standing there and he points over in the distance and he says, Behold, look over there. There is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now this man, John, knew the Jewish scriptures. He knew who he was called to be and he understood that Jesus was the Lamb with a capital L, right? Now, that shows us that he was connecting the Messiah to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, what happened? The people had to sacrifice animals as a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the animal blood could only temporarily cover over sin. The sacrifice of animals was only meant to show us that the real sacrifice was on its way. Amen? And now our sins aren't just covered, they are taken out of the way. And that's what Pastor was talking about, the glory of salvation this morning. And John was referring to that when he said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So in John the Baptist's mind, there was no doubt that this God-man, Jesus Christ, was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, flip over to John chapter 3. A little bit more about John the Baptist. You probably remember this statement. In John chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist says, He must increase, but I must decrease. This man said, I'm not even worthy to fool around with the sandals of Jesus Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. He had a proper perspective on Jesus, did he not, when he was preaching? Then in verse 31, he said, And by the way, Jesus, he that cometh from above is above all. And he that of the earth is of the earth is only earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. John the Baptist believed in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. And that he wasn't an ordinary man, he was the Messiah, come to fulfill the Old Testament. Now stay with me here, because we're getting to a really powerful point in a second. Is setting the stage for you. You've got to remember John the Baptist. Verse 36, a critical verse. John said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, John believed that his eternal destiny was in the hands of this man, Jesus Christ. Did he not? He said, If you believe on him, you have everlasting life. And if you don't, The wrath of God is just living on you. 
That's what he said. Now, I can take you just a little bit more proof here before we go to where we're going. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 41. Apparently, a lot of people got a lot out of the ministry of John the Baptist. And John 10, 41 and 42 says, Many resorted unto Jesus and said, John did no miracle. Isn't that something? John the Baptist performed no physical miracle. He just preached. But all the things that John spake of this Jesus were true. And many believed on him there. Now don't forget this verse because the Bible tells us that the one who was called to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the one who believed that Jesus was really the Son of God, is the one through whom many came to Jesus Christ. Is that what it says? Was the ministry of John the Baptist an awesome ministry? Was he tight with Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Okay, go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now, I'll set up the context for you. In Luke chapter 7, what's happening here is Jesus has just performed a lot of miracles in the beginning of his earthly ministry. He's casting out evil spirits. He's healing people of diseases. And in Luke chapter 7, he actually raises a widow's son from the dead. Do you remember that miracle? Darcy's saying, yeah, she remembers. Okay, so Jesus is going about doing all these awesome miracles. And in verse 18... The Bible says that the disciples of John the Baptist showed John all of these things that Jesus was doing. Okay? So John's disciples came to John and they were explaining and showing and telling John about all the wonderful miracles Jesus was doing. And in verse 19, And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus. Now, wait a second here. So, out of all of John's disciples, and there were many, he, after they tell him about what Jesus did, John calls two of them over, and I can imagine he cupped his hand kind of around their ears and said, you know what, I want you to go to Jesus, and could you ask him a question for me? Now, wait, we're talking about John the Baptist, locust, wild honey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what he said? He said, could you guys um, go to Jesus and say... Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we should be looking for? Or should I start investing my time and energy looking for the real Messiah? Are you guys amazed by that? Do you understand the gravity of that question? John the Baptist is saying... Go ask Jesus if he's really the Son of God. Or should uh, I be looking for somebody else here? Isn't that odd? Now, before we're too hard on John the Baptist for this question he asks, here's the difference John the Baptist is now in prison. John the Baptist waited 30 years to begin the ministry God had called him to, and he did his ministry for a year and a half. Then he was shut up in Herod's dungeon for probably a year and four months. And then he had his head cut off. 
He lived 30 years preparing for his ministry, preached a year and a half, then went to the dungeon, and then was beheaded for the sake of Christ. Now, he is in a dungeon right now. Okay, he's not at the Jordan River baptizing people, all happy to go out and preach the Word of God. He's in a dungeon. And he's hearing about the stuff that Jesus is still doing. And before we're too hard on him, let us ask ourselves the question. And I know this is for somebody tonight. When you find yourself in a prison, when you find yourself in a dungeon of despair, when you find yourself in a place you cannot figure out, when you find yourself under circumstances that just don't seem right, and they will not change. Though you have preached Jesus and believed in Jesus and told other people about him, are there not dark nights of the soul? You may not say it with your mouth, but you are raising your fist to the air and saying, God, are you really there? Jesus, are you the one that is in my life Or should I be spending my energy living some other way so that things come together like I want them to be? Right? John is in prison. And he says, is he really the Christ? Now listen. I was in Walmart the other day shopping. And I have been reading, Psalm 103 is one of my favorite psalms. And I've been talking to a friend about Psalm 103. And God struck me with something amazing. I was walking through Walmart and I passed this lady. She just, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you've had this experience before. She just was hunched over. She, I don't know middle-aged woman, kind of hunched over, wearing clothes. It looked like she probably didn't have a lot of money, you know. And she looked so sad and forlorn and she had this, you know, little tiny basket of groceries and I just felt like, man, I wonder if she even has enough money to buy the groceries she needs. And you know what thought came to my mind? I feel sorry for that lady. I pitied her, you know. And then this, I'm a deep thinker. Like, I'm just, I'm going through a regular situation in life and my mind just goes, woo, way deep. So here's me. So then philosophical me, I'm thinking, well, I wonder if that lady would appreciate me pitying her. wonder if she would like to know that someone else is walking through the store thinking, I feel really sorry for you. And then I thought, you know what? She probably would if I genuinely cared about her. And if she did have need, it would be good for someone to pity her and have compassion in her life. And then I thought, who am I? And God struck me with a thought. I am a creature to be most pitied. Just like that lady. And that's why Psalm 103 says, like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord has pity on them that fear him. I thought, I am like that lady and God. And I thought, and, and the pity and compassion that I felt for her, God feels eternally, an eternal amount more for me, correct? So don't get me wrong. God has pity on us as human beings and for what we feel and for what we go through. But Jesus deals only in truth. And sometimes we need pity. And sometimes we need truth. 
And Jesus is the perfect mix of both. Now, John the Baptist knew Jesus. And I thank God one day we'll meet John the Baptist in heaven. But I want to tell you, there was a day in his life where he said, Jesus, is this really you? And because the Holy Spirit gave me this message, there must be at least a few people in this room who are going through a situation where you say, Jesus, is this really you? Where in the world are you at? Everybody understand where I'm coming from? And here is Jesus, the dealer in truth. Here is his response to John. And this is what blew me away. You ready for this? So you think, okay, John the Baptist loves Jesus. He's a follower of him. Sure, Jesus is going to have a lot of pity on him. He's probably going to go to the prison himself and pat John on the forehead. That's okay, you know. I feel better. I'll, see, I'll get you out of here in a few days. But No. He didn't even go to the prison. Look at what Jesus said in verse uh, 20. When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour, Jesus cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way. So first of all, Jesus is not going to go to the dungeon to visit John the Baptist himself. Does he still love John? Yeah. He's not going to the dungeon today. He says, you guys go your way, and I want you to tell John this. Tell him what you have seen and heard. How that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he who ever shall not be offended in me. End of story. If I'm John, I'm like... What? What? This is all you got for me? Come on! This is deep. So we're going to go with this for a second. Alright? Jesus' response to John was this. If we could paraphrase this in a nutshell. Shelley's paraphrase. I'm doing what I came to do, John. I'm working my plan. It may not be what you think it should be. And it may not be for your happiness and your comfort, but I am working my plan. And happy and blessed will you be if you hold on and don't stumble because of my plan in your life. Whoa. And that's what Jesus is saying tonight. Listen, everybody goes through trials. I don't have, many of you know me, and I don't have to tell you that I go through trials. You go through trials. They are of different kinds and different intensities at different times in life. People may know of them and they may not know of them. But I want to tell you something Jesus is working his plan. Now, when Jesus stood up in the temple, in the synagogue, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he opened up to the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And basically what he's saying to John the Baptist now in the middle of his ministry is, I'm working that same plan. I've not deviated from what I said I was going to do.
prison. I'm still Jesus. I'm still healing people. I'm still showing people my gospel. People are still getting converted. They're finding out that I'm the Son of God. You may be in the dungeon. And what I find most interesting is, he doesn't explain to John, by the way, John, here's, let's, let's do an ABC, one, two, three outline of all the reasons you're in the dungeon. Okay? Here's a, first of all, letter A. Here's all the people that are going to come to Christ because they watch your life in the dungeon. Doesn't give that to them. Here's all the ways I'm working in your heart, John, while you're in the dungeon. Doesn't give that to him. What does he say? I'm working my plan. I said this to a Sunday school class this morning. Sometimes you can figure out what God's doing in your trials. Sometimes it makes sense and you can look back and say, look what God did. But you know what? According to 1 Peter, sometimes the glory, praise, and honor of the trial you're going through, you won't know until the appearing of Jesus Christ. And here's your answer. Hold on. And that's not a cop-out. If that's a cop-out, then Jesus gave cop-outs. Because when he spoke to John, he said, I am working my plan. And blessed are you if you're not offended by my plan. Do you know why Jesus' plan didn't necessarily mean John gets out of the dungeon? Or Peter doesn't get hung upside down? Or John doesn't get exiled to the island of Patmos? Why wasn't this plan what humans would want it to be? Because Jesus came the first time for one reason. To do business with the sin factor. He came to do battle with sin. He didn't come to make his disciples comfortable. And he's not here now to do that for us. He is here in this room to minister the gospel that saves people from their sins. And that is God's main purpose in my life. Not that I be happy or comfortable or anything else. He's working His gospel plan. That stuff comes later at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we better be about the business of the gospel and quit worrying about all the circumstances that don't feel right to us. He said, blessed are you if you don't stumble or aren't offended because of the plan I'm working. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Everybody turn there for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I feel like I'm getting a red face tonight. Getting a little worked up. This is exciting though because this is the truth. And some people in here need to hear this. I know. I know because I've needed to hear it. Right? Now here's what Jesus meant by blessed are you if you don't stumble or aren't offended at me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I mean the whole thing is so awesome but let's pull out a little bit here. I want you to go to verse 22. All right. First of all, verse 18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to people who are dying. The twelfth are being saved is the power of God. Then, verse 22. The Jews require a sign and the Greeks look for wisdom. Now, you could go to John chapter 6. I mean, we could go to other scriptures, but here's the gist of it. The Jewish people as a whole were reading the Old Testament... 
And they didn't want to deal with the scriptures of Jesus as the suffering servant. They only wanted the ones that said he's coming back as the reigning king. That's the truth. So they held on to the reigning king scriptures. They didn't want to deal with the suffering servant. So when this Jesus, the so-called Messiah, came, hey, if this guy isn't going to overthrow the Roman kingdom, forget this. We want a Messiah and a king that's going to come and set us free. We've all our lives been in bondage. We want out of the Roman Empire agenda. Right? And they largely rejected him because he didn't bring the political, physical deliverance that they wanted him to bring. And so the Bible says because of that, verse 23, Jesus crucified was a stumbling block, was a rock of offense to them. Same thing Jesus was telling John, okay? John must have got a little too caught up in the Jesus, give me what I want to have. Jesus, be the Jesus I want you to be and not the one of the Scriptures. See? Jesus, get me out of Herod's grip. Jesus, set me free and give me what I want. And Jesus is like, I'm not coming to overthrow Herod. I'm coming to overthrow a sinful heart. I'm coming to pay the price to set men's souls free. Because only when a man or woman's soul is free, do they make it to a place where they will be completely free one day. You see, and I picture it this way because I'm a visual person. I like graphics and visuals. I picture it like the cross of Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews who require a sign. And I'll tell you, in John chapter 6, what happens is Jesus feeds the 5,000, you know. And after he feeds the 5,000, a bunch of people come racing after him. And they're like, we want to follow you. And I love it. I love how Jesus responds to them. He says, you guys don't want to follow me because of who I am. You're following me because your stomach's all full. That's basically what he said. I fed you and now you're good and fat and you're not hungry anymore and that's why you're following me. You're not following me because I'm the bread of life. You just want me to do another miracle. And Jesus, the crucified Jesus is a stumbling block to some of us because we want Jesus to do what we want him to do instead of us lining up with this plan. God's working a plan I don't completely understand. But I know it's for His glory and not what I want. And so I picture it like this. There's there's an image of Jesus that the Jews had and that some of us have and that image is way over there. It's the Jesus we want Him to be. Right? And we're so busy running to that image of Jesus. What we think He should do and who He should be in our lives. We're so busy running to that and looking up ahead for that, and the cross is right in front of us that aren't in our running and looking at our own vision of who He is, we stumble over the cross. Amen. And then we're down on the ground. And now we can't get up. And now you never will get to the real second coming Jesus. Because you can't get there without the cross. Because you can't get there without the crucified Jesus who said, If any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Jesus was saying to John, John, this isn't about you. 
It's about me and my plan. Jews demand miraculous signs and the Greeks are looking for some kind of special gnosis or wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block unto the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called. And I love this. It doesn't matter what you're hung up on or what you stumbled over. If God calls you, Jesus is the power and the wisdom that you need. Now listen. The Bible says Christ in verse 24. Look at this. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Not the miracle that you've planned out for your life. That's not your power. Not the answer that you see in your own mind. That's not your power. What is your power? Christ. And let's be specific here. The crucified Christ. See, when Christ came to the earth, He said in John chapter 6, after He dealt with those people who just wanted their stomachs filled again, you know what He said? He said, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of Him who sent me. Now, one of the most difficult things in the world to do is to submit your will to the will of God. Especially when life has not turned out the way you think it should. Amen? So let's go back to Luke chapter 7. And let's think about John again. I don't pass judgment on John the Baptist. Because there are so many times in my life where I ask Jesus, Where are you? What are you doing? Jesus said, I'm working my plan, and blessed are you if you're not offended in me. And then Jesus went on in verse 28. Look at what he said. He said, I say unto all you people, Among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Did Jesus throw John away for his doubts? No way. He said, there is not a greater prophet among men than this man who has his doubts right now. But he that is least in the kingdom I'm bringing is way greater than John the Baptist. Listen, tonight in this sanctuary, Jesus is saying to you, I am not throwing you away because you have doubts in my plan. You may be in a dungeon of despair. You may be in a prison of confusion. And Jesus is coming to you with truth. And the truth is, He's working His plan. He's not forgotten you even when he doesn't come into the prison and set you free, he's working his plan. Amen? Let's bow our heads.
Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your plan. When you came to this earth, you read from the scroll of Isaiah and you said you came to set the captives free and yet you didn't set John the Baptist free from his physical dungeon. But what you did was you set men's hearts free from sin. And you lifted our spirits above despair and gave us hope that your plan is the best plan you came to model for us that this life is not about what we want. This is a battleground. Jesus, you came to do battle with sin and death. You came to serve and give your life away the first time. It's not until you return again that all the heavy burdens will be lifted. God, you work in mysterious ways. Isaiah 40 tells us all about your greatness. Your ways are so much greater than our ways and your thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. I'm interceding right now. Jesus, we're interceding right now for the souls in this room who are crying out to know that you are working your plan. Jesus, meet us, we pray. There is nothing that the mind of a man or a woman or the wisdom of this world can do. But your Holy Spirit must touch our souls. You have to do it, Lord. As sure as I'm standing here, there are people in this room that needs you to do it for them, Lord. God, let us be still. Hear your voice and sense your spirit as you pour out healing oil and truth to people right now who need to know You are working your plan. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are working your plan. Lord, we thank you. You are working your plan. We can hold on because that day is coming. Jesus, you came in as a lamb. You're coming back as a lion. Jesus, you were telling John, hold on, I'm not overthrowing the Roman government yet, but one day, John, 
after your life has glorified me, after people have come to know me because of the trials that you face, after I have worked my plan and done what I could with this sin-cursed world, I'm coming back to set you free, John. And Jesus is saying the same thing tonight to us. He hasn't forgotten us in prison. He is who He said He is. To the one tonight who can hardly hold on, He is who He said He is. You may not feel it, but He's still saving people. He's still healing and setting free. He's still working for that day when He'll come back. We thank You, Jesus. Give us perspective. Draw us close. Hallelujah. If you would, while your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if God has spoke to you through this I have prayed and interceded that God would show me the right message and it is him that does that work but I'm asking if you would raise your hand and show me that the Holy Spirit has done a work that I can continue to pray for something God has laid on my heart for you I will pray for you and intercede on your behalf that this scripture becomes real in your life. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody else? Anybody else that God touched? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And now, Lord, as we prepare to leave, we're not leaving your presence. Lord, may we open up this scripture. May we put it in our hearts and in our minds. And may we hold on to the Jesus who never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never, ever fails. Jesus never stops. He's working his plan. We thank you, Lord, in his name. Amen.